check. It's been an emotional couple of days, honestly. It's a sob fest for me last night and this morning when we started to go back towards the legacy and the time that it has been watching Damian Lillard in Portland. He returned two nights ago. I will explain why it's been a, a sob fest. The 65-game rule is now causing havoc across the league, I think. Everyone except for Magic Johnson is fucking pissed about it. I will get into some news from around the league. By the way, like, Magic's tweets are not him, right? Like, that's that's AI. That's Chad GPT. Anyway, news from around the league, including Darvin Ham and whether he's going to get fired, whether his seat is hot right now. And we, of course, because it's Friday, get Tristan's killer crazy ass stat of the week, which is a wild one this time around. Got to fix these fucking migraines, Anthony. So, my man, drop that motherfucking beat. It should be Rihanna. I thought about uh, this all day, yesterday, two days ago, I guess, because you're getting this tomorrow in the future. As I was fighting off a migraine, that's confusing. Um, It's something that's been on my mind for a while since the trade happened as a lifelong Trailblazer fan. And it hit me again as I watched the press conference and I watched the opening tribute video and all of the fanfare around Dame's return. Is like, damn, I miss, I miss Dame. I do. I didn't want to say it out loud. Kind of makes me a little bit of a bitch. I miss everything that I had with Dame Lillard. I don't miss the lack of defense. I guess, but like everything else, the the hard pound jab step step back three, I miss that guy in my building. All the feelings came washing over me again. Wednesday night, Damian Lillard returned to Portland for the first time since he was traded this past season. He didn't even know where the fucking visitors' locker room was. That was heart wrenching. Like I I really miss him. I really miss knowing there's a moment where this man can put up 70 on my for my team in my building in my podunk city on the water in that river town that's industrial as fuck where it rains like 9 months of the year and you know what that man gave his all for my shit city I love Portland I love Dame and no one loved it like he did. I miss Dame time. I miss the ticking of his finger on his fake watch in the game. But it's no more. No longer a blazer. He's off in Milwaukee doing his thing. And as a, a, a Dame psychologist, a Dameologist, as they would say, somebody actually whose whole career, my career, has coincided with Dame's career. My first year covering the league was Dame's first year in the league. And obviously he's the most intriguing player of my career, of my lifetime. He's the best blazer of all time and so coincided with my you know, rise in the business. He says he's happy in Milwaukee. He does. But outside, like when you start asking him about the like non-basketball elements of the job, I would say he's not very stoked. Basketball part, quite stoked. Playing with Giannis, bunch of vets. Outside of that, not super stoked. 
body language, demeanor, lack of full smile. When they, he smiles the biggest when they ask him about Portland. That's when he goes ear to ear. Hey, Dame, what's it like to be in the visitor's locker room? Was it weird for you? Cheese, smile, ear to ear. Yes, it was. I don't even know where I'm supposed to go. He wishes he was still hooping in Portland. No doubt. He wishes he was with the, the family. He brought his whole family to the compound. I think there's like 40 people living there, plus his kids. He misses them after shoot-around, after practice, after his lift. Like he gets to go and, as he would say, get full from his people. But no, now he's probably in some random one-bedroom palatial condo in the middle of Milwaukee with, like, nobody. If you listen to what Dame said before his return, here's some of the quotes that I thought were really interesting. Get some sort of feeling of catharsis or closure by playing in this game, like sort of checking the box off of playing here as a visitor. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I think um, my my relationship to the city and the fans here, the organization, I think is just it's never ending. You know, I don't look at it as closure or anything like that. Um, I just I just know that it's something that you know is. It doesn't happen often, you know, to come into a city as a draft pick, uh, to be able to to have so many accomplishments, to have a good relationship with the fans, a good relationship with the organization, uh, to experience a lot of success. You know, a lot of the things that I I experienced here, I know that is is going to always be a part of me. You know, it's going to be it's going to be a huge part of um, my legacy and what I've been able to accomplish as a man, as an athlete. Um, so that's not something that I'm that I'm ever going to say, oh, I'm going to have closure on it. You know, it'll always be a part of me because everything that I've, I've said, you know, how I felt about uh, my time, I'm in it. So it's not, you know, it's no reason to say, oh, this is closure and putting it behind me or anything like that. You know, it's it's a huge part of my journey and it's a, an important part of my journey. So I'll, you know, I'll always appreciate that and I'll always, you know, hold that close to me. And I don't think um, anything other than that is necessary. No closure necessary because the chapter is not closed. Dame, any chance you'll come and play for Portland again? Because of how I feel about Portland, how I feel about the organization here and my time that I spent here, in my mind, I always felt like that's how my career would end. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm in Milwaukee now. I'm focused on the present, blah, 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 contending for years to come, searching for a ring. But I do see a day where I'll be in a Trailblazers uniform again before I'm done. This isn't a relationship that he wants closure on. This is like when you date somebody and you guys have to go off and do your own thing. They've got to go to law school. You're changing careers. You're following your passion. Maybe you were an accountant and now you want to be, I don't know, like a general contractor for a design company. I don't know. You guys got to go your separate ways. But in the end, you want to make each other. You want to get back to one another. That's Dame in Portland. They want to get back to one another. So do you need closure? Do you need that last final call to be like, where did it all go wrong? No, nothing went wrong. I want this. You want that. We can't do it together right now. We'll see each other in like five years. And then you ask him like, what's it like in Milwaukee? Of course, he's like, I love playing with Giannis. But first, it's been a massive transition, he said. It has been a very tough 
struggle to be without all of the things that I like being around. My family, my kids, my house, my commute, the facility that I was used to. All of those things had me crying in the club. You listen to Dame again, and I just get immediately a little teary-eyed, a little stuffed up. It's sad because there's like only one player in my lifetime I've ever seen love a city ever this much. It's like not the same with every athlete. They get drafted. They come and do their job. They probably force their trade a trade somewhere else when they're unhappy or they don't get what they want. The only player that comes close to the Dame scenario is Kevin Garnett. Wanted to stay in Minnesota. Felt like he couldn't get it done there. Wanted to own the team. Felt absolutely gutted when they would not sell him the team. Went back to Minnesota to finish his career. It was like the final abort button that was in glass, encased in glass, encased in more glass. Did not want to push the button. Had to push the button. Did not want to. Was crying when he pushed it. Dame said to Brooke uh, Oldenholzer, she asked him, like, and he said, listen, there are sometimes decisions you must make that even you hurt yourself in making in the process. You can see the pain on this man's face. <sighs> Not even Damon Stoudemire. Damon Stoudemire grew up in my little town, my little river town, played for the Blazers. He didn't give a shit about our team. He didn't care. We had him come to our middle school to say stuff to us. He showed up, I think, late, like by days. Do you think Dame Lillard does that? No. Dame Lillard's Milwaukee Bucks comes back to Harriet Tubman Middle School right now. In fact, he is so important to the city, so important as a player, that Adidas named a building after him in Portland on the week that he came back for the first time. And they've never done that in the history in their entire bit, like the entire business. That's Dame. They played a two-minute video. They did. Adidas did it. And then the Blazers did it. And it made me a wreck. It was every moment that we remember. It was Rip City after he hit that big shot against the Houston Rockets. It was the bye-bye wave. It was his whole team mobbing him. I remember every moment that those were and where I was in the process. I remember walking around the streets of Nashville, Tennessee before the NFL draft, waving bye-bye to everyone I saw. I thought that was going to be the year. Are we going to be able to stand up and punch Golden State in the fucking mouth and win a championship? I felt like we could do anything. The Game 7 against the Denver Nuggets where I was in Bali, Indonesia, I had to set my alarm for like three or four in the morning just so that I could watch that, fell back asleep, had to buy a VPN because they won't let you watch shit over there just so I could listen to Evan Turner go fucking crazy knowing that they would trade him. CJ going nuts, Myers Leonard going nuts, then going back to Portland after Bali just to see him in the Western Conference Finals in my fucking city with all my people who helped me get to that place in my career where I could come in there with a media pass. That was game. Anyway, to the game. Because that's what's important too, right? How did he play? How did the Blazers play? The game ended pretty fucking exciting. Blazers took a 10-point fourth quarter lead. I think we were like 15-point dogs to the Milwaukee Bucks. Something crazy. I mean, they should have beat our ass, right? Should have beat their ass. And the Bucks cut into it in the final minutes until Dame made a steal. 
threw an alley-oop to Giannis, dunked for a one-point Bucks lead. Then Anthony Simons did his best Damian Lillard impression, drove down to the lane for a floater, hit the go-ahead. The Bucks took it over with 17 seconds left. The best they could come up with was a Brooke Lopez 30-footer, which missed two free throws later. The Blazers had a three-point lead with 5.1 seconds left. The Bucks were out of timeouts. Blazers bailed them out, calling a timeout. And this is where we get Doc Rivers. This is where the Doc Rivers character comes right into the plot line. He had plenty of time to call a play. And you would think anybody. I mean, you just heard a whole soliloquy about Dame. Who does the ball go to when it's Dame time? When it's Dame time, who does the ball go to? Giannis? No, it goes to Dame. But what did Doc do? Doc said, when they zig, we zag. Dame takes the ball out of bounds and gives the ball to Giannis. Yes, Giannis. The guy who can barely make 70% of his free throws, that man needed to hit 100% of his first free throw in order for this plan to work. After the game, they asked Doc, why'd you fucking do that? And this is what he said. Yeah. Four seconds. You know, uh, we anticipate they're going to foul someone. We actually, if we could get Giannis to make the first one, and then his ability with no one in front of him to miss the second one, we liked our chances on a missed free throw because that's what we're going to look for. Yeah. Oh, Doc, no. We liked our chances? We knew he could... Like, we're hoping he makes the first one and then gets his own rebound for the second one when there's guys behind the three-point line that are going to be crashing the glass to get that rebound. You really believe that, Doc? That's the most harebrained Doc Rivers thing. What well, This is like kind of a troll, right? Doc doesn't really believe that. He will never say, you know what? That was a bad call by me. It made no sense. This is coming on the heels of Doc Rivers saying that he wouldn't wish coaching this Bucks team on anyone. I can tell you that. Just from a day and a half, this is going to be a challenge. What? You mean the team that's number two in the East, second best record in the NBA? You mean that team? You think you wouldn't wish that challenge on anyone? No, no. I wouldn't wish that challenge on you, sir. I wouldn't wish you to have that job. This is the worst possible situation for Dame. Someone good enough with enough pedigree enough, with enough reputation high enough to not be fired despite his mediocrity and not anywhere good enough for Dame to win a chip and come on home. And you know this, man. You know this, which is fine, I guess. Dame's going to be looking to get out of Milwaukee at the same time Shaden and Scoot and Anthony are going to be heading to the finals. That's my team right there. Everybody's going down. My team's on the come up. And then Dame will be like 37. He plays 25 minutes a game like Carmelo Anthony did in his final years. And then he will get a chip in the one place that he actually wants to win it more than any other place, Portland, Oregon. Shout out to Dame. I love this man. Greatest human to ever put on a jersey in my city. We love you right back, brother. We always will. We always have. I'm sorry for all the mean things I said when I was upset. All right, let's move on. Last episode, we dug into the new 
rule in the NBA dictating that you must play 65 games in order to be eligible for the major awards like MVP, but also All-NBA, which is, as you may know, tied to many star player contracts. Turns out that the worst possible thing that could have happened in the two days since that pod dropped, Joel Embiid, who at that point, and still at this point, could only miss a handful of games in order to be eligible to win the NBA MVP, seems to have, I don't know why, forced himself into a lineup to play against the Golden State Warriors in a nationally televised game, probably because of public pressure, people saying that he was a pussy and a bitch or whatever, you know, whatever mean things people say. And guess what? And guess what? It didn't work out well. He had to leave the game due to re-injuring his knee. As I have said so gracefully before, rut row. After the game, an anonymous Sixers executive told The Athletic that Embiid had been dealing with left knee soreness all season and that his late exit from the game where he was clearly not okay all night because he was battered and bruised before February even arrived. This is, this is bad. Here's the problem. Giannis sits. He's ducking superstar matchups. He doesn't want to play against Jokic. He's a bitch. All he wants to do is rack up these meaningless numbers against these meaningless teams. If he plays through injury, risks injuring himself. Oh, he's egotistical. He's chasing dumb awards that don't really matter. He just wants to get the MVP again. He wants to outbest Jokic. Again, he's ducking Jokic and trying to outbest Jokic, not worrying about the thing that matters most, a.k.a. competing for a championship. That's a lose-lose situation, brother. Embiid deserves better than this. Embiid deserves better than this dumbass discourse. Especially considering that we know that Joel Embiid is not, like, faking it. Joel Embiid has not ever been 100% healthy in his entire career since he's entered the NBA. How many games? Has Joel Embiid ever played 65 games in his career? Why do we think he was playing 65 games now? Just because, like, someone said, you must. Yo, Joel Embiid, you must play 65 games. We will make it so. Like, we think that that's just going to, like, work? You think this man was sitting out for no reason? I, you're pushing this man to play past his physical limits that we know he has, which is 50 games. Joel Embiid's limit is 50 games, plus then the playoffs where he might end up getting injured. So it's probably 40 games, okay? So it's every other game Joel Embiid should play. And be fucking thankful for those games because this is the best basketball we've ever seen Joel Embiid play. Also, he plays like shit in Golden State, plays like shit for, to, against whoever was before them. And then it was like, we're not talking about the pressure being placed on him and this dumbass rule. We're talking about how fat Joel Embiid is. Not me. I didn't say that. But there's plenty of people on Twitter being like, oh, well, if Joel Embiid wasn't just such a fucking fatty, and then maybe he would stay in shape, and maybe he would be able to, like, stay healthy through these 65 games. They're, like, comparing Joel Embiid to Zion Williamson. Like, Joel Embiid didn't just win an MVP last year. It's absolutely insane. This is, by all intents and purposes, fucked up. The discourse around Joel Embiid is unbelievable. He 100% needs to sit out until he is 100% healthy again. But these stupid rules made him feel pressured. And not just the rules, the people saying, oh, you know, Joel Embiid, you're not going to be able to get win an MVP and you're playing so well and like blah, blah, blah. And like Jokic has only missed one game and you are a pussy, so you need to play through this game. What? Like, no. Joel Embiid is now being reported that his ability to be at his best from here on out is in serious question. 
You motherfuckers are the reason that we're not going to be able to see Joel Embiid put up 73 again. You fuckers are the reason that we're not going to be able to see Joel Embiid splash middies all day, every day, and me make money betting on him to score 40. You guys, you dummies, you magic, lauding the 65-game rule. And, and, let's be honest, Adam Silver, you're at fault. You're at fault. Money grab. Feeling like the economics don't make sense. The people who you're talking to and negotiating right now for these rights deals, they want the 65 games because they think that the sport is being watered down because they don't like load management. (laughs) So if you put this rule in, you're going to like squeeze an extra few billion dollars out of Apple TV. Congratulations. Now you get to watch Jaleel McLaughlin. Who? Exactly. (laughs) Also, Tyrese Halliburton seems to hate these new rules as well. He says... I think it's a stupid rule, like plenty of the guys in the league, but this is what owners want. So as players, we got to do our job and play in 65 games if we're able to. So that's what I got to do. Got to take care of my body to be able to play in these games. And I think you're seeing other players in the league kind of face the same thing. As long as the owners are happy, right? Woo! As long as the owners are happy, right? Shots fired. Even Draymond Green is upset. Well, I mean, he's probably always upset. Although he's missed day- games due to not injury, uh, mostly the tomfoolery. Here's what he had to say on his podcast. Joel playing tonight felt very much so because of the 65-game limit. What I think is actually quite bullshit. Guys didn't face those rules before, but those same NBA, all NBA teams, those same MVP awards lists, uh, defensive player of the year, those lists are the same. I once lost um, a defensive player of the year award to Kawhi Leonard, and I think he played 51 games. In turn, um, you get Joel, who comes out there tonight, and he forces it. And Freak played with him and uh, J.K. diving for the ball, but maybe it's not as bad if the knee isn't already banged up. I don't really bang with it. And now we got one of our premier faces in this league, the MVP of our league, possibly hurt for an extended period of time because he's forcing it. Because he's forcing it. Not a good solution to this. Players are always going to want to do what they think is necessary to avoid being injured, which, I mean, let's be honest. It's not just the fact that these guys are missing time. It's the fact that they're in a lot of pain and aren't able to be, I don't know, mobile, like a normal human being. Owners in the league want to always do what they need to do to have their star players on the floor as much as possible. Turns out, like... We're diametrically opposed when really the players want the same thing that the owners do. I just want to be healthy so that I can play the game. You know what I mean? The problem is, and nobody's talking about this, Tyrese Halliburton uh, is on the cusp of losing a lot of money too because of games missed. He only has three more games that he can lose, and he'll miss out on $40 million because he's not eligible for all NBA status. The solution, obviously, is stop tying contracts to awards. Stop tying awards to games played, honestly. But that's a discussion for another day. For now, we just simply cannot have star players getting hurt just because they want to be eligible for this dumbass award that gets them paid more money. Ugly shit in an ugly game. Moving on, trade deadline's coming up fast. We're going to have Jake Fisher on the podcast Monday to talk about that. But for now, the rumors are, are that the one team everyone, and I mean everyone, thought would be like, I don't know, sound like a carnival barker. There you are, apparently, standing pat. All the signs point to the fact that the Chicago Bulls are not going to make a move. They're not going to make one move. Chicago Bulls. This team? What the fuck? 
According to The Athletic, if the Bulls swing a deal before the February 8th deadline, most will be surprised. It's not that the Bulls can make a trade, but there's a prevailing belief that the front office won't commit to something substantial. That means no Zach Levine on the move. That means no DeMar DeRozan on the move. That means no Patrick Williams, not even Alex Crusoe. All of the rumors, all of the time that we've had those rumors, none of them are going to come to fruition. Just a good old-fashioned cock tease is what we have here, folks. Uh, are the Chicago Bulls the new Toronto Raptors? Cock teasing trades, never pulling the trigger. Mark Eversley is now out there just Masai Ujiring the whole league. The bit, except for we want these players less than we wanted them. So it's like even crazier. The biggest question is like, what the fuck are the Chicago Bulls doing? There's not anything left for the season to salvage. They're not good. They're 23 and 26. They're in ninth place. They're maybe at a 50-50% chance to make a play-in game. They, it, it is it's bizarre. They're nowhere good enough to win, not committed in the least to rebuild. At least in Toronto, they eventually became sellers. We're going to have to see how this Chicago situation develops. Moving on. Man, our guy, Darvin Ham. <sighs> He's on the hot seat. Producer Anthony Irwin is out here leading the charge. Get him! Fucking get him! No! The Lakers are a shit show, as we know. Everyone, including LeBron James, is tired of Darvin Ham. All the players are throwing him under the bus. Subtly, not so subtly. Jason Temp of Hoops Tonight tweeted, I can't remember a team underachieving relative to talent and health like this Lakers team. How bad are the Lakers? Well, when the starting lineup for Thursday's nationally televised game against the Celtics was announced, a game where AD and Braun were scratched early, or very early, because AD was hurt and Braun was held back, Christian Wood simply tweeted, LOL. Well, they also mentioned that... uh. Christian Wood was going to be coming off the bench. Christian Wood thought he was going to be starting. Darvin Ham responded, we're constantly looking for balance with our lineup, and it's not a popularity contest. We're looking at how to mix and match our players that will be most effective in helping us get a win. Also, they asked Christian Wood, hey, what was that LOL about? Was that about you not starting and you thinking that Jackson Hayes starting over you was an absolute joke show? And he said, oh, no, my bad. I meant to quote tweet something. I just... I just accidentally tweeted it without the quote tweet. <laughs> that, and that is a lie. That is a lie. LeBron James is out here tweeting uh, emojis of, what are those things called? Sand. Those sand time things. Hourglass. Out here tweeting emojis of the hourglass. Tick, tick, tick. Time's running out, fuckers. I am out of here. I thought that might have been the announcement that he was partnering with the DraftKings for his new NFL pick show that he's doing, which is absolutely wild. But no, he's like, yo, you guys need to make a move. It's a shit show. Producer Anthony Irwin says he thought for a while the season could be salvaged by firing him, but I, I don't think he's sure of that either. Check out his podcast, by the way, Lakers Lounge, for more details. But for now, Darvin Ham's got to be getting fired. LeBron Jaded tweeted, like I said, this hourglass making lots of people speculate he's going to be gone after this year if they don't make a move. Moving on, it is time for Trista's crazy-ass killer stat of the week, and holy shit, it's a wild one. Roger Sherman tweeted the following, which I had to fact-check because I did not believe it. Ryan Archie Diacono, Cano, which I have tried to say like a million times. You're just going to live with it, okay? Like I tried to say it as many times as I said to a tug of Iloa before he fucking won the national title. 
of the New York Knicks is in his eighth season, part of the bench mob, 14th or 15th man on the squad. As, as such, he's expected to play mop-up minutes, and he's done that this year 20 times. But incredibly, unbelievably, I, I did not know this was real. He's not scored a single point this season. Not one. He's played nearly 46 minutes this year across 20 games. Not made a single shot. My man, Ryan Archie Diacano, is Archie Dianono. <laughs> because he's not making shit. He's 0 for 6 from the field. All three-pointers. He's grabbed eight boards and dished four assists. Why is this noteworthy? There is not a player in the history of the NBA that has gone more than 10 games without scoring. My man said, you know what? Take that. I'll double it. Absurd. All I know is when this happens, the Knicks bench is going to go absolutely apeshit. But who knows how many more games it's going to take for him to score a point. That's all the time that we have for this episode of The Heat Check. Come back Monday for an all-new episode. Check out the feed for past episodes and mini-episodes, which drop unexpectedly like the beat in a Skrillex song. Do not forget to follow The Heat Check the rest of the season. That means download. That means subscribe. That means tell your friends. Even that woman who comes over to tell you about how there's yoga for migraines coming over unannounced when you might be in a dark room because you have a migraine. I don't know. Maybe not pop in on her. Anyway, hey, tell her, yo, thanks for the help. But also, if you want to help, download the Heat Check. Listen to it. It's dope. Follow us on social at this Heat Check and at Tristan Crick on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We'll see you next time.